0: On this edition of the ASI Research Update, we're talking with Dr. Lisa Williamson. Dr. Williamson is an associate professor in the Department of Large Animal Medicine at the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Williamson, can you tell us a little about yourself and your work in parasites and small ruminants?
1: Well, I'm Lisa Williamson. I currently live in Georgia and graduated from veterinary college in 1981, so a good long time ago. And for the past 20 years, I've worked in the area of of characterizing dewormer resistance in, in sheep and in goats and even more recently in camelids and been a member of the American Consortium of Small Ruminant Parasite Control really since about 2002 and uh, that's been a great resource and a great learning tool for all, for all of us.
0: That's a great resource for producers for sure. Tell us a little bit about what the main parasites are that we're trying to control in small ruminants.
1: You know, it really kind of depends on where you live, but if you are in an area that has sufficient rainfall and you have any warm periods of the year, I think Hamonchus contortus is going to be the biggest problem for most of us. I know particularly in my practice area, uh, the old barber worm causes a lot of havoc. It causes a lot of uh, illness and anemia, and it kills quite a few animals, not just sheep. It also kills llamas, alpacas, and, and uh, goats, and certainly zoo collection animals as well. Uh, the other worms that are, are still important, they're not as as uh, lethal, but things like uh dorsagia and uh, trichostrongeles, clubiformis, they're also quite prevalent. They also like temperate parts of the, the country, uh, but we see probably more problems with them as the weather cools off a little bit Homachus really likes it hot and humid, but as the weather starts to cool off a little bit, we see more problems with these other two parasites more in the fall and even into the winter in our part of the world. And then other parasites that plague producers include Coccidia, uh, an important protozoan parasite. And of course, the one that seems to get most people's attention because they see the segments in the feces are tapeworms, but Overall, compared to these other parasites we've mentioned, they're really a fairly low pathogenicity. However, they do sometimes cause some problems with, with youngsters and, and weight loss issues.
0: And what products are available for deworming small ruminants?
1: If we're really concentrating on those, those bad nematodes we mentioned, so Homonchus contortus, and we talked about Keeler sagia, and we talked about Trichostrongeles, there's really three classes in the United States of dewormers that we have available. And I think that's really one of the big take home messages for folks that are viewing this is to become familiar with these three families or three classes of drugs. The first one I'm, I'm sure everybody is familiar with and it's the white dewormers and it's the drug names that end in Dazole. So the, the benzimidazoles, and in this particular family, we've got drugs like Fenbendazole and Albendazole. So fenbendazole is sold as Safeguard or as Panacure, and albendazole is sold as Valbazin. So as far as their efficacy against some of these worms are not good at all in our area. In fact, for homonchus, we call the white dewormers ranch dressing for homonchus. However, they do have a place for controlling other types of parasites, and that's one of the reasons I think the combination therapy we're gonna talk about still is, is so important because it's gonna still target some other parasites that we deal with. The second big family is the uh, macrocyclic lactones. So that's a fancy way of just saying, this is the family where ivermectin and moxidectin live. And, and these two drugs are actually quite chemically similar. It's just that moxidectin is a much more potent drug. Uh, And then the last class, I'm not going to say that big, long word. I'm going to call it the membrane depolarizing class. And in this class, we've got more until tartrate, and that is available in a lot of feed stores. But the most potent member of this family is Levamisol. So, you know, even if you get past all the glossy packaging and everything, you can boil the drugs that we use in, uh, and especially in sheep, down to those three families.
0: You said a little bit about combinations. Are combination treatments good or bad?
1: You know, it's fairly new on the scene, but it's so exciting and important because it's, it's one of the best things to, that we figured out through, and it's I say we, but researchers, particularly uh, Dave Lefwick in New Zealand, did some really elegant work looking at using combination dewormer protocols on, on actual farms. And by using two or three drugs, you know, one, one drug from each of those chemical classes we just talked about in combination, it has an additive effect on killing the worms we worry about the most like hamonchus. The other benefit is it really increases the spectrum. So now we're starting to get a little control in there with our tapeworms and some of our, you know, the whipworms and some other things that we might not have mentioned as being as important. And the third important thing that we get excited about is that we're seeing actually using combination drugs is slowing down the onslaught of resistance. This seems to be an ever-escalating problem, but the research is coming in that not only is it slowing down resistance, but it's actually shown that by using these combination therapies, we're actually causing a lower version back this is the of this the drugs to the parasites or the parasites to the drugs I meant to say. So I think that's really, really great because we, we've been on this collision course of having none of our drugs really working that well and, and especially in my area. So anything that's gonna slow that down and especially if you'll start to reverse that trend is a very good thing. So the concept of just de, actually rotating between dewormers is really obsolete and it's really no longer considered to be a good practice even though maybe just a few years ago it was being recommended.
0: So how do you use these combination wormers on the farm?
1: Well we don't really want to physically combine them before they're in the animal so we give the full dose of each drug sequentially and I use separate syringes so I I use those nice dosing syringes that you can get at, at various livestock stores and online. And uh, just load up my dewormers. I, I give the first one, uh, allowing the animal to swallow that first drug. Then we go right with the second one. And in a lot of my farms, I'm using uh, combinations, very potent combinations such as moxidectin, levamisol and albendazole. Uh, the only place I'd worry about albendazole is if I have animals that might be in the first month of their pregnancy then I would tend to avoid use of albendazole because it's been associated with uh, possibly damaging those fetuses. Uh, and then I'd go to the, a, le- a lesser potent member of the white dewormers, and that would be benbendazole.
0: What about dosage and forms of administration?
1: If you are targeting worms that are actually in the animal's gut, you just can't do better than giving those drugs orally. It's not just a matter of getting... Uh, tissue levels or blood levels of the drugs. If you're putting those drugs right in the gastrointestinal tract and they're coming in contact with the parasite, they find they actually might actually be absorbing some of these drugs through their cuticles. So for many reasons, it's it's much preferred to give the drugs orally and at the correct dose. So rather than relying on a pour-on formulation or by injecting it, I think it it really. It's very important to use the drug orally when you're targeting gut worms.
0: If you're giving some of these, some are approved for sheep and some are not. What are the considerations that you need to take into account with your veterinarian?
1: Well, that's, you know, so often uh, that even if there is a drug that is approved for the animal in some instances, the studies have shown that we need higher doses and that right away is using it in what's called an extra label fashion. And it, it behooves you to have a working relationship with a veterinarian, and that way they can stand behind you and, and also direct you uh, using the the patient-veterinary-client relationship to allow you to use these drugs in a, in a manner that is outside the label. And, and that's un- unfortunately quite important right now.
0: What happens if you underdose, and is it possible to overdose?
1: Well, underdosing can be a problem because then you have a... a insufficient treatment, and you're going to actually promote drug resistance because you're you're basically exposing those parasites to a sublethal dose of the drug. And if they survive that, then they can actually pass on that survival ability to, do, to a future generation. So we want to really avoid underdosing uh, these animals. So that, that's quite important. And yes, you can that where I really only worry about overdosing, gross overdoses, are things with, like, levamisole. So it's an important drug because it seems to be one of the drugs that still has the best uh, chance against uh, worms like homonchus contortus, but it has the smallest safety margin. And what does worry me, if you look on the back of the packet in which that uh, Levomisol powder comes in, it often gives more than one way to mix the drug up. so it's really important that if you follow one particular way of of uh, mixing the drug that you also be careful of of sticking with that uh, amount to give to the animal and it, importantly is I'm going to direct folks to uh, our charts that are on the uh, wormex.info website. And it's vital that they mix up the lavamisaw according to the directions that are on the bottom of that chart for, for the sheep. And that way, they're gonna be giving the safe dose to their sheep. And, uh, and where you can find that, we could just segue right into that. It's, this is a great website. It's not just, uh, the, that whole consortium is composed of veterinarians and researchers and animal scientists and thank goodness we have this really creative animal scientist, is the one that really put this website together. You know, Sue has been a, a driving force here, and she's made it beautiful and user-friendly. So when you go onto the website, I have to write this down because I have to look too. You go under the the tab. So we yeah, let me go over here. Anyway, you go into the tab and you basically look for the dewormer tab and you go down and it will have the charts which are free downloads. So there's one for sheep, there's one for goats, and there's one for camelids. I use it almost every day that I'm working. Because uh, what it does is it gives you the medication, the weight of the animal, and then how much to give. And so and for most of our dewormers, that's already set. The, the only one we have to worry about is the ones we have to mix up, like Levanisol.
0: What do you think are the three most common mistakes that producers make when deworming small ruminants?
1: One of my favorites is that they'll get their advice about how to treat their animals from... Uh, maybe online sources that may not be as credible or from uh, the feed store clerk um, and I've, I've run into that and I've really had to you know uh, be careful because that's oh boy Yeah you know, they just they just sold them some outda- outdated uh, fenbendazole maybe it's not outdated and says this is going to kill all the worms you know that they may not be um, as on top of the the new findings and that we've just talked about in, in the, our discussion here. So make sure you're getting your advice from critical, credible sources. And then another thing is you got to do the do, you know, <laughs> do your fecals to see what kind of parasites are on your farm. Because if you're, you're may, your neighbor may have a totally different kind of problem or that person whose blog you're following uh, and they're talking about their problems with parasites, they may not be the same parasites that you're having problems with, you know, we've we've had that before. People have come to us and say, "I've done this and this, and my animals are still really sick, and I just lost one, and they've not done the single fecal examination." And when we did the the fecal exam, they had wall to wall something like nematodirus, you know. That that now we need to know what we 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 should know what to target so we can treat appropriately. And your questions are right on on uh, right on target too because the other big problem is people treating animals with an inappropriate route with these dewormers or an inappropriate dose of the dewormers so uh, those are big mistakes and then i would say the the last thing which i think is a is a big problem is people kind of have a still are, are locked back you know what we were doing you know many many years ago where they treat all the animals in that flock at regular intervals. And that we we know now in hindsight, that's why we have so much drug resistance in these parasites. So we are really stressing the importance of just treating the animals that need treatment. And that can be determined through a variety of things. We For our blood-sucking parasite like haemonchus, we look at membrane color, especially in the eye membranes. You know, we, just to you know, just to show the FAMACHA, we push, you know, uh, cover our eyelid, push the eye back, pull the lower eyelid down, and then read that color. Uh, ideally, if you're new to it, using the FAMACHA card so you can make sure you're scoring them right, and only treating the animals that are in the paler two categories. And if there's other parasites, and oftentimes there are other parasites involved in animals that are. Uh, suboptimal body conditions, uh, loose stool, uh, high risk factors, I think they should also be treated. And if you, but if you're leaving some of those animals that are bright, alert, healthy, you know, robust pink or to red membranes, beautiful body conditions, uh, untreated, you're, what you're doing there is you're really keeping your, your, your naive worms in that population, which is so important to keeping our dewormers working. And you're still doing A great job controlling your parasites. So we don't have to treat all the animals all the time. We need to be selective with our treatments. And I I see that less and less, but it still is a a problem in my practice area.
0: If a person has a big flock out in the mountains or somewhere, is there any kind of determination of when you might start looking at those sheep uh, to think strategically on when to check them for worms?
1: Well, you're so right, because climate really matters we see sometimes hamonchus will come on with a vengeance early in the spring. And the thought is that some of these worms will become hypobiotic. You know, they'll basically go dormant in the abomasum. And then they'll emerge once weather conditions, such as warm weather and rainfall, come back in the spring. And then all of a sudden you've got animals that are staggering around and very weak and very anemic. And it seems like yesterday they weren't. Uh, So they can suddenly uh, have large burdens of blood-sucking adults in the abomasum. Uh, because of that particular factor. But yes, when we, like, we had a lot of rainfall uh, this year so far in our area. So uh, we, we do worry a lot about, you know, two to three weeks after one of those really heavy, drenching rains, that we're going to have liberation of the larvae from those, those fecal pads up on the grass and animals eating it and, and starting that life cycle over. So, yes, a lot of rainfall and I've seen this personally with, got funded to do research in llamas and alpacas. And up to the point where I had, before I had received my fund, funding, it was raining like crazy and animals were having such a terrible time. And we got the the funding to do the studying and then we had like a hundred year drought. And then I I couldn't hardly qualify animals for our study because we just weren't getting parasite transmission. So. Those sorts of conditions can lull people into a false sense of security that, well, I don't don't really have parasites. So you just have to really remain vigilant and, and you've got to get your hands on these animals. Run your hands down through that wool or you know just through that fiber and make sure those body conditions are where they ought to be and, and flip those eyelids and, and look at your animals. And that segs into you've got to have a facility where you can run the animals through, where you're not going to exhaust yourself trying to catch individual animals out in the field. You know, I think that that kind of thing, just investing in infrastructure and, and having a way to move your animals through efficiently and put your hands on them is so important so that you could do that kind of job and really assess their health. And if you could run them across a the scale and monitor weights, that's also a wonderful indicator of health. You know, are they maintaining weight, maybe gaining because they're young or, or they're, they're pregnant or are they losing weight and, and don't look good, that you get so much good information. One other good thing is is if you start looking at that data and you keep the animals that are performing well, even in the face of parasitic challenge, you know, they've got the bright red FAMACHA scores, they've got great body conditions, they got low fecal egg counts, uh, compared to maybe the animal that just came through the chute that was white as a sheet and not doing well, and they're in the same environment and, you know, they. They may, still, they, they may or may not be nursing lambs, but all of other factors are, are fairly equal. The animal you keep is that one that's fat and healthy with a great vomitus score. Keep those as a nuclear part of your breeding program because over a few years, you can make such a tremendous difference in how many animals you're going to have to treat. So you can really start to select for that resistance to the parasites.
0: Lisa, thank you for joining us today. Welcome any closing comments.
1: I uh, am honored to have the uh, uh, time allotted to, to try to provide some education, and I'm, I'm really pleased that people take the time to, to educate themselves and better themselves as shepherds. It's really important.
0: That's a quick look at Sheep Dewormers with Dr. Lisa Williamson of the University of Georgia College of Vet Medicine. For more information on these and other research topics, visit our website at sheepusa.org.